The following podcast contains explicit language. This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SPOILER7. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate Spoiler Special podcast on The To-Do List, the new sex comedy from Maggie Carey and starring Aubrey Plaza. Joining me from Slate's DC studio is Dan Coyce. Hello, Dan. Hello. So we were just saying as we were about to start taping that I think this will be yet another of those occasions where you make me feel like some kind of grouch for not laughing as much at a comedy as you did. Did you like the to-do list overall? I, I did really like the to-do list, yes. It made me laugh a number of times. Uh, it depressed me slightly in that I think it's maybe the first movie I've ever seen that treats a year that I was in college as a period piece. So that's a bummer. At night, early '90s nostalgia. It's your first yes. time around with that. Did you yeah, see the Wackness so. that um, Jonathan Levine, I think, is the writer director's name? Movie. From yeah, a few years I did ago? see the Wackness. Although that movie is like it could, it might as well have taken place at any magical time. Like, I just, was, but I, I feel like it was kind of an archive of, of early '90s nostalgia as well. Yeah, but it was, I guess maybe it's that it was early '90s New York nostalgia, and I did not know anything about New York in the early '90s. Whereas this was like early '90s, middle of nowhere, right? Sub- suburban Midwestern nostalgia. Yep. Right. Yeah, I think I followed that trajectory where I, I laughed the most in the most in the first twenty minutes because I I went in so wanting to laugh and so wanting this to be the kind of feminist raunchy coming of age comedy that it had been billed as and that it clearly wants to be and I guess was for you. I, I think one of the big problems for me and we can get to this later, but I don't love Aubrey Plaza at least in the movies. I haven't found her to be a compelling heroine, both in this and in the uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which are essentially the two movies that she's headlined so far. She just doesn't have enough charisma to hold the screen for me. Is that is that wrong? No, I don't think that's wrong. I think that she uh, is. I think she's getting better, um, and she has a sense of humor that does appeal to me particularly in that she is directly reminiscent of every girl I had a crush on in 1993, including um, in this role because this is this is not a typical Aubrey Plaza role. She's not as kind of Daria deadpan cool as she is obviously on Parks and Rec and and has been in other places. Oh yeah, I would say most of all in this role. In this role, like it was the nerd girls that I Oh, I mean, you liked the square virgin girls? Yeah, I was basically Cameron, I think in high school. Oh, uh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, he. I had the exact same hair as him, for example. Cameron being the, the character played by Johnny Simmons, who would be, I mean, he's he's a very straight out of John Hughes kind of character, right? The sweet guy, the guy who wants to lose his virginity with the heroine, the, the guy right. that you root for her to be with. Right. There were a lot of awes in our theater every time something sad happened to him. People really loved his hair. Like, I think all the 18-year-old <laughs> girls in our audience were like, why don't boys have hair like that now? Yeah, he actually looked like, you know, one of the uh, the, the teen the 80s teen idols that he was no doubt styling himself after, right? Right. Um, so the story of this movie is, you know, the story of basically every teen sex comedy, which is that someone really wants to lose their virginity. Um in this case, it is Aubrey Plaza's character, Brandy Clark, who is a straight-A valedictorian uh, who just graduated from her high school in, um, like, Boise. Is that Boise, right? Idaho, Boise? yeah, I think. Yeah, Boise, Idaho. Um, and uh, and so she, being a type-A go-getter who um, keeps a picture of Hillary Rodden Clinton on her desk, um, has a plan. She enacts a plan for the summer, which is she creates a to-do list of all the sexual experiences that she's never had. Since she, the only time she ever Frenched anyone was a freshman year in high school. Um, and so she uh, makes a list of all the things that she barely even knows what they are. And there are a couple of cheap laughs 
uh, about how she doesn't know what teabagging is, but then that sort of goes by the wayside. And really, it's her trying to hit, you know, basically all the bases, uh, all these stations of the cross of the teenage sexual experience. Um, she wants to get finger blasted. She wants to give a hand job. Um, she wants to get eaten out. She wants to give a blow job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going about the entire thing in this very clinical valedictorian sort of way, right? Not right. out of she any has- kind of desire, but just she's got to check off her list. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed about the movie was seeing the places where her um, where her sort of go getter get things done personality intersected with little bits of desire surprising her when she actually found herself enjoying these things that she previously was doing just because she had to get them out of the way um, for the final result that she had written down, which was. Um, have sex with Rusty Waters, who is the um, he- the local lifeguard hunk, um, college guy who uh, who works at the pool where she also works. Right, played by Scott Porter of, of Friday Night Lights fame, right. who actually one of my my few real laughs in this movie is the first moment that you see him through her eyes at, at a party early on. Remember, and he's playing right. an acoustic version of "Pour Some Sugar on Me" for a bunch of adoring girls, and somehow that choice of song and just seeing the guy from Friday Night Lights singing it was was a, a kind of classic moment. It was a pretty great moment, I thought. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so she goes through these things and, you know, she has some of these experiences with Cameron, the boy who's desperately in love with her, who's known her forever. Played by Johnny partner, Simmons. Played by Johnny Simmons, who was her lab partner in AP Chemistry. Um, and, uh, and she has workplace hijinks and she hooks up with a guy in a band and she um, gets uh, – cunnilingus performed on her by a guy who works at the pool with her and there are jokes about what semen tastes like and blah 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 but so i i did laugh a lot during this movie and you know one of the reasons that i laughed is that in the retelling it sounds basically exactly like every other sex comedy but i maybe for me it was it was just that i really enjoyed seeing uh what seemed like a pretty legit female perspective on these exact same issues and i have a very vivid memory um, of seeing the first American Pie, right, which was uh, the beginning of a long and horrible franchise, but was itself, a, in fact, a somewhat surprisingly good, raunchy sex comedy. And one of the things that I liked about that movie so much was that for is, was that it gave at least a little bit of play to the women's desires and the women's stories too. There's that funny scene where where. Um, one of the characters is trying to like do the alphabet with his tongue while he performs oral sex on Tara Reid. And there's the whole thing with Alison Hannigan and the flute, and it turns out she's a sex maniac. And like I liked the little bits of that that we got because those are things we didn't usually see in these kinds of comedies. And this, to me, seemed like, a, seemed like just those little bits from American Pie, but, but a whole movie devoted to the story of a girl trying to figure out sex in the same way that boys have tried to figure out sex in time immemorial in movies. Yeah, I mean, I t- completely agree that the female perspective was what made it work to the extent that it did. I like the friendship between her and her, her her two besties, one of them played by Alia Shawkat, the other by Sarah Steele. That was that was all good stuff. And I think the other moment that I laughed aloud, besides the uh, the pour some sugar on me, was also musical. It was it was the moment that they reconcile after their their break by all singing "The Wind Beneath My Wings" to one another. Right, which was a very beautiful scene, I thought, and also really funny and made me laugh a lot. Also, the placement of it was great because it was sort of like she resolved her boy sex problems and then, you know, went to solve the real problem, which was that her two best girlfriends weren't talking to her. I really loved the priority that that was given at the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, the message of this movie essentially is that sex is important, but it isn't as important as you think it is. 
right? And so the message, the what she learns eventually after she does indeed successfully have sex with Rusty Waters, and it's not that great. Um, and she apologizes to her friend, to Cameron, for sort of dicking him over. Um, she realizes in the movie's big climactic scene that what she really needs to do is to be with her friends because she cares about them and because she has alienated them and because just as importantly and just as it would be in any boy's teen sex movie, she's got to tell them that she fucked Rusty Waters. That's important to her in the same way it's important to every teenager to tell these stories. And so, yeah, that scene is great. She goes back to them and they reconcile and they sing The Wind Beneath My Wings. Um, So good is the production design in this movie that that was the scene where I, I saw this movie with my wife and she said, Right while they're singing The Wind Beneath My Wings, she said, I think one of my sweet mates had that comforter. <laughs> like, yeah, it really was really, a horrible it, early 90s comforter. It really it like, does perfect. nail a certain kind of depressing suburban interior of that period. Oh, every, I mean, everything. The clothes, you know. Uh, the uh, phones. Duffy's hyper-color shirt. The phones. The hair. The bangs. The scrunchies. I mean, it's very, it's extremely well done. It's a, a very well-designed movie. Um, and I guess maybe, I mean, maybe one of the reasons they said it in Boise is I think that there are a lot of cities and smallish cities in the West that functionally do sort of look the same as they did in 1993. Like they haven't substantially changed. Um, but, uh, but it was very believable that part of it. Um, and that also made this a movie that really resonated with me, obviously. I mean, it's, it's functionally my like early adolescence on the screen, um, in sort of all its awkward glory, except for now I finally get to see what the girls were talking about all this time. Well, but didn't you think, I mean, to me, there's a lot of workplace comedy here, right? The, actually, the majority of the movie takes place at the swimming pool where she's a lifeguard. And right. Rusty Waters, the guy she's trying to get, is is the head lifeguard. In fact, every, well, basically all the, all the guys that she ends up having sex with are in some way or another affiliated with this pool. Um, right. Donald Glover is there and Johnny Simmons is there and Bill Hader plays their boss who's this sort of homeless stoner dude who actually doesn't know how to swim even though he runs a public pool and sleeps in the pool house and you sort of discover as the movie goes on how how pitiful Bill Hader is. Maybe this is another problem for me is that I don't find Bill Hader especially funny either. He's a likable enough guy but there was a lot of story around this character that I didn't really think went anywhere. And I wasn't surprised yeah, to read later on that Maggie Carey, the writer-director of this movie, is Bill Hader's wife, which is not to imply any nepotism of how he got the job or she got the job. But I don't know. I, there was something going on with that character that I just could not get into. See, I love that character. He just reminded me of, like, every guy who ever managed a pool <laughs> in history of ever. Like, he's just a semi-dirtbag with a good heart who really, in the end, wants things to go well for his stupid employees who he hates. Uh, and then he gets a happy ending, which is that he accidentally has sex with Rachel Bilson. But what actually? Who, <laughs> I should note, gives a fantastic performance in this movie as Aubrey Plaza's sister. Yeah, you were really into Rachel Bilson, right? Sister. The slutty yeah. older sister. Was, like I didn't, I didn't give two shits about Rachel Bilson before this, but I thought she was really funny in this. Um, she plays Aubrey Plaza's older sister as a much more experienced, uh, much more angry pissed off version of Aubrey Plaza. She's not as smart as Aubrey Plaza as her sister. So she finally seizes this chance as she says to finally be smarter about something than her stupid kid sister because she knows more about sex than, than her sister ever will. Um, and, uh, and they're very funny. I think there's very funny interactions between them. There's great screaming matches that just come out of nowhere in the way of teen girls forever. Um, and, uh, and there's like a great sort of rapprochement between them at the end where 
where they sort of learn that they can give each other a little something and they can perhaps like interact with each other as near adults. Uh, see, I think I felt like the rapprochement came out of nowhere because they had to have a rapprochement because the end of the movie was approaching. And I thought that a little bit about the uh, all the, the pool-related stories as well, that it was sort of like, well, the end of the summer is here, so everybody better have a resolution. But I didn't see where any of that stuff was coming from. Yeah, but isn't that what the end of the summer after your senior year in high school is like anyway? Like Artificial resolutions. Trying, right, you're trying to bring everything to a close so that you can go off to Princeton or wherever she goes. Uh, and just start fresh with a clean slate. Like the whole, her whole goal this summer is to knock out all this stuff so that when she gets to college, she's not the person she was. She has transformed herself into, into a totally different person who understands all these things and who had sex with Rusty Waters. Dan, I'm going to interrupt you right there for a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SPOILER7. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's a website, an advertisement, a multimedia presentation, or any kind of film project. You can choose from over 700,000 clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. And they add 10,000 new video clips every week, so whenever you visit, you'll find something new. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account, no credit card needed. Just start your account, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save any video selections you find to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code SPOILER7 and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com and for 30% off new accounts, use the offer code SPOILER7. The Spoiler Special thanks Shutterstock for their support. All right, Dan, back to the to-do list. Dan, I'm convinced to get you to admit that something is wrong with this movie. You're making it sound so good on paper. All these things are reasons that I wanted to like it, but... Like, no, let's, I mean, let's well, look so, at the parents, okay? Clark Gregg and Connie Britton as, as the parents. Aren't there so many comic possibilities unexplored in, those, in their relationship to each other and in their relationship to their daughters? Yes, I agree with you that, that those parents could have been much better used. It reminded me of Easy A, right, in the movie that came out a couple of years ago with Emma Stone, also sort of a, a, a high school sex comedy. Very similar in premise to this, in fact. Right, a little bit similar in premise. And it also had two awesome actors cast as the main character's parents. In this case, it was uh, Patricia Clarkson and Stan, uh, Stanley Tucci. Yeah, right. So, she, so, the, so Emma Stone got Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci as her parents. Uh, in this movie, Aubrey Plaza gets Connie Britton and Clark Gregg as her parents. And those are both like, those are both kinds of casting choices that just make you feel good about a movie going in, right? You think, oh, this director knows what the hell she's doing because she was smart enough to cast these terrific underused actors as the parents in easy a those parents were great and funny and really deftly characterized and had a bunch of great comic moments and in this movie uh in the to-do list i agree with you that those moments really fell a lot more flat that there were great unrealized comic possibilities of these characters that i wish they had exploited better right i mean connie Britton and patricia clarkson as as the mothers of these two sexually curious daughters actually have very similar kind of uh, roles right the idea is that the, un, unlike a lot of on-screen mothers they're actually very sexually frank and they're into helping their daughters explore and connie Britton gives her a tube of lube at one point as a present but do you remember how far that joke went in easy a and patricia clarkson was kind of like demonstrating positions on the hood of a car and just <laughs> being really really revolting <laughs> and and 
none of that stuff happens here, even though the, the jokes are basically set up and they're just not pushed far enough. I don't know if that's a rating problem. Is this a PG-13 movie? Uh, I'm certain it's a PG-13 movie. It's got, they say fuck more than once. So it's, I mean, it's definitely PG-13. They're lucky it's not R. But there's no nudity. It's not actually particularly raunchy, although it does push one boundary as long as we're spoiling a sex movie. It pushes a boundary that girls recently and, and other things have started to push, which is that it shows the after effects of some sexual encounters, right? Like you see her spitting out somebody's jizz after a blowjob, right. and there's right. a freeze frame on that shot, and there's some stuff that's, you know, it's sort of borderline gross-out humor, some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I would be shocked if it's not a PG-13 movie. And I don't know. I don't think that it's a ratings thing. I think it's probably an editing room thing. I mean, it. you know, I think at some point when this, you know, I'm sure like almost every comedy shot today, there are acres and acres and acres of film of funny people doing funny or less funny or almost funny things. And for whatever reason, I this feels like a movie where the parent's story was set up to potentially be really funny. Like there's this dynamic where the dad is conservative sexually and politically and he um, feels very ill at ease with his daughters and in fact doesn't know until like the middle of the movie that his wife ever even had sex before she had sex with him. Um, and she's more sexually frank and sweet about it and then there's like a dynamic set up there for that to be used in a bunch of really funny ways. Instead, the sort of wan payoff to it is that for, like, as a gift, she gives him that they go to, like, the teenage parking spot in Boise and have sex in the car, and then there's, like, a, an encounter between them and their kid who's in the car next to them having her cherry popped. And it's, like, sort of funny, but not really that funny. Well, and the after effects to that aren't, aren't explored, right? I mean, the really funny part of, of losing your virginity while your parents are getting it on in a car in the parking lot right next to you would be what happened after you got home that night and the awkward encounter, and that's never really explored. I just It, it just seemed like there could have been 20 more minutes of jokes in this movie than with the exact same setup. Is that what you really setups. wanted was 20 more minutes of jokes? I didn't want 20 more minutes of movie, but I just I felt <laughs> like there should have been greater joke density per scene. I was disappointed in the joke density. I agree with you that this movie has a low joke density. It's it's feel, felt very summery to me, and it felt sort of old fashioned in that way. In that it reminded me of like something like One Crazy Summer, right? Which which is basically a character piece with a bunch of weird people in it, uh, and the, and it also, if you watch it now, that's pacing feels like really weirdly slow compared to sort of like the rat a tat verbal dexterity of comedies that we are often used to now, um, and. And I think that that's it's maybe just a matter of taste. Like I really liked the pacing of this movie. I liked the ease with which it moved. I liked that it, it was occasionally a little bit punchy um, in its freeze frames and in some of the effects that it used. But I mostly like that it just took its time and sort of accompanied these characters through their stupid summer where they did stupid things. Um, but I can totally see that's, that – there are many other people who will watch this movie and be like, Jesus Christ, something needs to happen and it needs to be a joke. Yeah, I think for me, Aubrey Plaza has just always been a little bit of a is that all there is kind of proposition. You know, I get mm. I get her appeal. I liked her stand-up bits and funny people. I get her appeal as sort of that Daria type, but I, I've not seen her yet be able to carry two two hours of funny on her shoulders. Um, but I wanted to, to I mention one thing that I did love in this movie that was so sweet and hilarious and I loved how unaccented and, and un sort of... Uh, 
framed it was, which was the friendship between Christopher Mintz Plass and the Johnny Simmons character. So the sweet Cameron boy has a best friend who also one of uh, one of Aubrey Plaza's friends is in love with, played by Christopher Mintz Plass. And they have this great sort of girly friendship where they cry on each other's shoulders. And at one point yeah. when Cameron's heart is broken, he's lying on his bed crying and Christopher Mintz Plass is kind of smoothing his hair. And there aren't any homophobic jokes about it or any kind of setup that, you know, they're secretly gay or something. They're just two sweet guy friends who kind of snuggle together. Yeah, although Duffy is also sort of a jerk, but oh, like yeah. no more, no more of a jerk than any other teenage boy. But yes, I like you. That you friendship. don't hire Christopher Mintz Plass and not use some of his, you know, jerk factor. That's what right. you get him for. Yes, but I like that friendship. I r- really like the friendship between the three girls. I really, I mean, I even really thought the friendship between Brandy and Cameron, sort of the main couple, was really believable. As a, she doesn't get that he is crazy about her. And he has resigned himself to her not noticing and then is taken pleasantly by surprise when all of a sudden she takes an interest in him. You know, I just – for a movie like this to actually develop relationships that surprised and pleased me, I thought was great. And I mean I know that that should theoretically be the like baseline level of accomplishment of any kind of movie. But in, you know, contemporary comedies, they aren't always. You know, these kinds of – gender-based friendships or cross-gender friendships and just uh, often get short shrift in these movies. And I liked that this movie took the time to have a lot of scenes of characters just talking to each other, some of which were a little light on jokes, I admit. Yeah, that, it wasn't mean. It wasn't mean spirited, and that I really do appreciate among sex comedies, right? I mean, in that sense, it was sort of feminist, and and also you know sort of accepting of of both genders. But there were some people who did get short shrift, like Donald Glover's character, right? What was his motivation for wanting to go down on Aubrey Plaza one time and then be perfectly affable about being blown off for the rest of the summer? Did he have a to do list of his own? I believe the problem was that he did not get blown off. I think that's what you mean. Um, <laughs> But no, well, there's like a line um, where he says that he his last girlfriend dumped him because he was really bad at it. So he just needs practice. All right. So he does have um, a to do list sort of. He's got an agenda in that of, department. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he just struck me as he's just one of the guys who circles around here who pounces when an opportunity is given to him, just like every other teen boy. Um, and I and I also liked that there's like very little like there's like very little slut shaming in this movie, right? You know, Aubrey Plaza is functionally behaving kind of like a slut this summer. Uh, and her friends get sort of angry at her about it be- when that, when her experiments cross over into messing with guys that they have their eyes on or that they care about. But in general, there's no one in the movie who really thinks or condemns her or gets angry at her. And there's no point in the movie where she's made to feel like, oh, you are horrible for trying to do these things with all these different boys. Instead, she gets a lesson in doing things so that they mean something and having fun while trying not to hurt other people. But she's never made to feel like a dirty, gross skank for doing all this stuff with all these boys. No, and I I appreciate that the movie doesn't slut shame her, but honestly, for the sake of just realism and and a little bit more dramatic conflict, it would have been kind of interesting if someone in the movie had slut shamed her (laughs) and she'd had to overcome that. I mean, it was the moment that the notebook comes out, right, which should sort of be, as it was in Easy A, it should be the dramatic um, crux that everything hangs from, right? So her notebook gets seen by Cameron at one point when he's hanging out in her bedroom waiting for her. And then everybody knows about the to-do list and word spreads all around the community pool and so so forth. And it seems like there should have been at that point some sort of, you know, moment where, who knows, where some sort of, you know, skanky guys start to start to congregate around her and she has to kind of and and she has to marshal her own resources to to overcome that. I I didn't think that there was quite enough overcoming, as I said, to, to, to justify the resolutions at the end. 
Where's my I story arcs? I want my story arcs. I yeah, I just think that that's like a different. I that's a different movie. You know, I just liked that this this movie is not interested really in putting Aubrey Plaza in an extremely difficult situation or in testing that character to to her utmost limits. You know, it's not interested in having a scene where she's surrounded by four guys who really want to be the next check marks on her to do list and they won't take no for an answer. Like that's not the movie this is. This is a very easygoing movie where everyone in town knows about it and they just all think, oh, well, isn't that nice that she's doing that? Or isn't that weird? Or I wonder mm-hmm. how I can get some of that action. Right. Like, And I don't mind that. Like, I don't think I would have been happier with this movie if it had upped the stakes substantially. I was really happy with this movie and its low stakes. Yeah, you know, it's actually, I mean, I think I'm, I'm calling out the low stakes thing ultimately because there just was no performance or personality in this movie that was that compelling to me. It was a whole lot of people that were sort of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I think that basically to you this movie is a C minus and to me it's a B minus, but I was but I was basically expecting a B minus and was totally happy with it and you were hoping for like an A minus and were therefore disappointed. Right. Yeah. It all has to do with, with expectations and also maybe generations, you know? I mean it happens to hit your sweet spot because it is right. about a moment and a place that you recognize. Right. And you know, I'll be really interested to see how women respond to this movie. As opposed to men. I mean, one of the, I, I will openly admit that it's I, almost certainly one of the reasons I like this movie so much is that I'm a guy. And so this seemed completely fresh to me. But if you actually lived this life or lived – if you were actually a girl in the early 90s, maybe it strikes you in your sweet spot or maybe you're like, ah, this that seems bogus or I did this already or whatever. Like maybe it doesn't surprise you or interest you the way it did me. Yeah, I guess I guess I didn't feel a lot of coming of age moments that I recognized from life. I recognized some of them from movies, but but not necessarily life. I'm curious how people respond to, and I'd actually love this movie to do well because I love that it's written and directed by a first timer director who's a woman, and that it it gives so much credit to the women's perspective. And it's an almost ran, so yeah, let let it be a success. I'd be happy for that. Right, but I I'll fully admit to you and to all our listeners. That if you see this movie and you sort of like it, you should just probably go watch Easy A, like immediately afterwards. Yeah, Easy A is much, much funnier. Yeah. And, 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 and it has exactly what this doesn't, which is a strong central female performance by Emma Stone, where you really do, made me sit up and take notice and say, who's this Emma Stone person? What else is she going to do? And, and I have not had that feeling about Aubrey Plaza yet. Right. All right, Dan. Well, thank you very much for coming in and wanly trying to convince me to upgrade to-do list from a C-minus to a B-minus. Well, you see that I was not – this is not a movie where I was like crazy about it and I'm desperate to tell everyone. But it is a movie that I that I liked all the way through and it made me happy at the end that it existed and that it was as good as it was even if there were a million ways it could have been way better. All right. I think that counts as an endorsement. Sure. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, Dan. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.